0: Section 62 of Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Frontier Humor in Verse, Prose, and Picture by Paul Mercox, Simon Rand. No poet, however gifted, can get along without his muse any better than a navigator can without his compass. If the goddess is not at his elbow, the lyre hangs mute upon the wall and the pen corrodes in the ink, then what can the poor limited rhymer do without a muse to inspire him? As mine is at present leaning over the back of my chair in a very encouraging manner, I will strike my harp and lay the following heart-rendering tale before the world in verse. First gossip. Was she false? Second gossip. A false as her teeth, old volume. In Siskiyou, a tanner lived whose name was Simon Rand. He loved the miller's daughter, fair Anita Hildebrand. The maiden loved the tanner too, at least the maid so said, and she, the happy day, had named the parson would them wed. The golden day dreams lengthened as the season shorter grew, and Cupid slung his bow across his shoulder and withdrew. A golden-pointed arrow lay embedded in each heart. The little god conjectured they could never live apart. Fire will test the iron safe, and powder prove the mine, And tempests try the ship at sea, the woodman's axe the pine. And gold will sound the human heart, the maiden's love it tries. It is the plummet weight that proves how deep affection lies. When Jacob Tau, a rival, came to darken Simon's days, his clothes were fine, his purse a mine, he drove a span of bays. The fair Anita was his mark, he deftly played his hand, he turned her giddy head around, and love from Simon ran. The tanner saw his dove-proof doll and scarce believed his eyes, but change was there in look and air and in her curt replies. He called one night in hopes he might back his affianced win. Word came by sis an old game this Anita was not in, but ah, how keen are lovers' eyes when rivals are round a glossy hat hung in the hall. He reached it with a bound. See, my child, a pleasing sight, said he with a ghastly smile. "'for into fraction, into might, I'll smash the villain's tile.' "'He seized it, and he squeezed it, too. "'He bolted on the floor. "'He thumped it, and he jumped it, and he kicked it through the door. "'So through the gate he then escaped, and he was heard to say, "'By all the hides that I have scraped, with life I'll make away." "'Next morning he was missing, and the neighbors thought it queer, "'for he at work was never found.' Throughout the busy year, noon came but brought not Simon back, and then their wonder grew into a fear that he had done what he had sworn to do. A search was instituted, and all work was at a stand. For weak and stout alike, turned out to search for Simon, ran across the mill pond and the flume. The grappling drag they drew, they scanned the trees and probed the wells. The little village through. But tailor tidings none they found, so all the search gave o'er, and sat them down to talk in smoke around the tavern door. When Teamster Joe picked up a hoe that by his side was laid, and turning round to farm a pound, he slapped his thigh and said, I'll stake my strongest pair of mules against Mole Benson's cat That Simon Rand, the missing man, lies dead in his own vat. No face was there, beard hid or bare, like tawny hue or dark, but on the instant plainly showed the weight of that remark. To feet they sprung, both old and young, and down the shortest road, by silly Still in Burl's mill to Simon's shop they strode. One pace in front leaned Parson Lunt, who let his dinner stand, and joined the throng that surged along in search of Simon Rand. Across his shoulders stooped with age, he poised his garden rake, and those had need to urge their speed who followed in his wake. Then side and side, with equal stride, pressed Joe and Jasper Lane. Next, Elder Chase kept even pace with stout old Sydney Vane. Then two and two, and three and three, and sometimes four abreast, with hoes and hooks and thoughtful looks. Come clattering on the rest. The place was gained, all eyes were strained upon the brimming vat, but not an eye in depths could spy or pierce its scum of fat. A fearful place, said Elder Chase, as down he dipped his pole. No love or woe could make him throw himself in such a hole. A man would choose a hempen noose, a pistol, drug, or knife. If he designed through troubled mind to make away way with life, a silent group, they kneel and stoop and shove their poles around. Now left, now right, till all afraid, one cried, I've something found. It's him, I know, I must let go. I dare not see his face. When coming from the depths below, will someone take my place? Then Parson Lunt stepped to the front and clasped, his hand in prayer, and cried, We thank thee for his dust, his soul in mercy spare. Then took the pole from Selby's hand, who quickly sought the rear, yet dodged and peeped his best to see if Rand indeed was there. Up rose the heavy burdened hook. That's him, a dozen cried. But when they took a second look, it proved a brindled hide. Then impious, brown Clown turned from the bat aside, and laughed until the tears ran down, his cheeks as though he cried. Still round he went, with body bent, his face one endless grin, because the parson praised the Lord, then raised the heifer's skin. The tolls once more sink as before, to scrape the bottom slow, another mass they strike and pass, it rolls along below. I have him now, cried Dennis Howe, the blacksmith's helping hand, while down his face in rapid pace the perspiration ran. With mighty grip and backward tip, stout Dennis manned the pole, which bent as though twould snap and go, and Howe would backwards roll. And woe is me, that tanner man, and woe is me, that maid, and woe is me, that staring group around that vat afraid. The hold was good, the pole had stood, and up the hook was drawn. The poor discarded Simon ran, dead as a pickled prawn. and lo, a great cast-iron weight fast to one leg was tied, which as he rose did oscillate and swing from side to side. Upon a door his form they bore back slowly through the town, and still behind them left a trail where dripped the water down. FOR EVERY STEP FRESH SHOWERS DREW DOWN FROM THAT litter BEAR, FROM GARMENTS soaked QUITE THROUGH AND THROUGH, FROM MOUTH AND NOSE AND HAIR. TWERE SAD TO TELL A FUNERAL SHOW THAT IN THAT TOWN WAS SEEN, ENOUGH TO KNOW THAT SIMON LOW LIES WHERE THE GRASS IS GREEN. ANITA NOW IS Mrs. TOW, AND SERVANTS ON HER WAIT, AND DOGS WITH UNINVITING GROWL DRIVE BEGGARS FROM HER GATE. And Simon's shop has gone to wreck, no bark is needed now, no more before the greasy door lie horns of ox or cow. But on the anniversary of that distressful night, the superstitious people say within it burns a light. And there the tanner may be seen, his thin arms shining bare, bent o'er the bench as though at work fast scraping off the hair. Anon slow rising from his toil, a woeful sigh he gives, And gazes long towards the hill where Fosanita lives. Then turning round he gives a bound, and when he crushed the hat, and fastening to his leg a weight, he leaps into the vat, and with him goes the wondrous light that shed its ghostly ray, and dismal darkness wraps the place until the dawn of day. End of section sixty two Read by Julie Taylor, January fifteenth, twenty twenty two.